You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Yeah, if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 136. Um, This is the last text that we are looking at uh, as we finish this sermon series on emotions and devotion, uh, where we've been looking at how all of our emotions can lead us to a deeper devotion in Christ. So, so far we've looked at sorrow, joy, fear, uh, confidence, and anger. Uh, And now we're going to finish the series by looking at love. So go ahead, let let me go ahead and uh, pray uh, for our time and then we'll begin. Father, in your word, you say that you are love. So, So if you are the embodiment and the essence of love, That means that if we want to understand more about this emotion, this feeling, then we need to understand more about you. So so I ask that you would just give us the clarity and the insight that we need this morning to understand this passage. So that through these verses that that we can come to see what genuine love really is and, and how we can come to love you more and more and how we can love others more as a result. Just ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, So we'll get to Psalm 136 in just a moment. Uh, But before we do, I just have to say uh, that love is a weird word in English. For example, I love coffee, um, but I also love my wife. Um, I love a good taco, uh, but I also love Jesus. But not necessarily in that order. You know, I don't love all of those things equally, yet I end up using the same word to describe all of them because that's the only word we've got in English to use. So when the Bible commands you to love the Lord or to love your neighbor or to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, what kind of love are we talking about? I mean, should I love my brothers and sisters in Christ the way I love driving through Taco Bell and getting a cheap meal? Well, here is where the Bible is actually really helpful because it gives us the definition for love. So we're not left to guess at what it means. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. We're not told that God has love or that God sometimes loves. He is the very definition of love. Doesn't depend upon what side of the bed that God gets out of in the morning. Doesn't matter whether God is having a good day or a bad day. He is love, which means that everything that God does is motivated by love. And it means that if you want to understand love, you need first to look to God. Since he's the definition of it, you're going to have a hard time understanding it if you leave him out of the equation. So as we study Psalm 136, uh, we need to do something just a little different. I know last week when I spoke on anger, I gave you a lot of guidelines and guardrails that we needed to put in place around our anger. Yeah, I tried to be very, very practical in that sermon. Uh, but as we walk through 
this psalm, I'm actually not going to spend as much time talking about how we should love. I'm instead going to spend most of our time looking at how God loves. Because once you understand that, it'll become much easier to understand how uh, we as Christians should be reflecting that kind of love. Um, So I'm not going to give you uh, five practical steps on how we should be loving each other more and how you can have a a better marriage as a result of that. Instead, we're going to spend the the majority of our time looking at how God loves and how we should reflect that as a result. Um, So now I want to go ahead and look at our text. Uh, But since this is a longer psalm, um, it's 26 verses. Instead of reading it all at once, I'm going to break it up into four chunks. Uh, And each part of this passage, uh, we're going to see uh, four different things that God's love can do. God's love created you. It delivered you. It guides you. And it can always remember you. So I'm going to just read first those, those first nine verses to see how God's love created you. Um, But as I read this, um, I actually have a request for you this morning. Um, Traditionally, uh, this psalm, it's kind of a unique psalm. And traditionally, it wasn't just read by the priest at the tabernacle or the rabbi at the synagogue. Um, In every line of this psalm, there's actually a refrain that traditionally was read by the congregation. And in the ESV translation... Uh, the English Standard Version that that I'm going to be reading out of, uh, that refrain is, for his steadfast love endures forever. So the scripture is actually going to be up on the screen this morning. Uh, I have your part underlined, uh, but I just encourage you to participate in this scripture reading today uh, and just say that refrain with me every time we come across it. Because it is literally in every line of this passage. So here from the word of the Lord this morning, Psalm 136, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 and invite you to read the underlined portions. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to To the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. I hope you're hearing a a bit of a theme in this psalm, that his steadfast love endures forever. So um, in the first set of verses that I just read for you, uh, we see that God's love created you. This universe, 
is not an accident. God made the heavens. He made the earth. He made the sun to give light by day. He gave the moon and the stars so that you could see at night. God made everything in the universe, including you. And his reasoning for doing so was love. So if you've ever wondered why it is that ice cream tastes so good, it's because God loves you. You ever wondered why sunsets are so beautiful? It's because God loves you. You ever wonder why you exist, why you were born, or why has God kept you around for so long? Why are you still here? It's because God loves you. You are not an accident. Even if your parents didn't plan on having you, uh, God knew God knew that that he wanted you around and he still has a a plan for you and a a purpose. Um, You you were not an accident when you were born and you uh, it's not an accident that you are still alive. God keeps giving you life because he loves you. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. I want to point your attention to the very first part of this passage for just a moment, uh, where we're told three times how we should respond to seeing God's steadfast love towards his creation. Three times we're told to give thanks. I just want to dwell on that phrase for just a moment. Um, It's actually a single word in Hebrew. And it has a bit of a different meaning than it does in English. Uh, In Hebrew, this word yada, uh, it can mean to throw uh, or to cast. So kind of like when you pick up to to skip a rock or you're you're tossing a frisbee. Um, It can also mean to shoot something, like you are pulling back the bowstring of an arrow to shoot it. It really... Uh, just is used to describe any kind of motion that causes you to outstretch your arms. And this word came to be associated with giving thanks because it's what God's people began to do when they began to pray prayers of thanksgiving to God. They began to stretch out their arms to give God praise for all he had done. So when you read this in this passage and it says to give thanks, we're not talking about just some polite way to say thank you, like you might say to somebody who holds the door open for you, right? This is the kind of thanksgiving that causes you to shoot out your arms as wide as they will go. This is the kind of thanksgiving that's going to to bring a tear to to your eyes as you realize That all you have, all that you even are, was given to you by God. Out of his love, he created you and he gave you life. And in response to that, there's really nothing else to do except to throw out your arms in praise. So so God's love created you. But now let's read verses 10 through 15 to see how God's love has delivered you. And again, we just invite you to read that refrain in each of these verses. And the the words will be back up on the screen for you. 
So here again from the, the word of the Lord, starting in verse 10, it says, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever, and brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. So the first part of this psalm reminds you of the Genesis story and how God created this world. But now the second set of verses is meant to remind you of the Exodus and how God saved and delivered his people from bondage even after the world fell into sin. Psalm 136 is traditionally recited by the Jewish people even today during the celebration of Passover. Uh, Passover is the holiday where the Jews remember that the night before they escaped from Egypt, uh, the Lord told all of the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb and paint their doorposts with its blood. Because the Lord was going to sweep through the land and kill the firstborn of every house not covered in this blood. So as the Jews recite this psalm at Passover, uh, they're recounting the story all over again. Not just to remind themselves, but also to remind their children that they were delivered. The Lord struck down the firstborn of Egypt, uh, but then with his outstretched arm, he, he led his own people to the banks of the Red Sea. And with Moses' outstretched staff, the waters of that sea were parted and God's people were safely brought to the other side, all while Pharaoh's army drowned. But, but this psalm isn't just a reminder to the Jews of their deliverance at Passover. Uh, it can also remind us as Christians of how we too have been delivered through Christ. Because we understand that the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost was intended to point us towards the sacrifice of Jesus. And the reality that if we are covered beneath his blood, then we too can be delivered. We can be spared from death. And just like the sign that was given to the Israelites at the Red Sea, we too have been given the sign of baptism. When you submit your life to Jesus and you pass through those waters of baptism, uh, just like the Israelites, you're, you're, you're doing just as they did. It's just like when they uh, passed from slavery into freedom. You, too, uh, are no longer being held in the bondage of sin. You, you are being given freedom in Christ. So... The, the Israelites had this sign, but also like the Israelites, we need to be constantly reminded of our deliverance, lest we forget. So, so just as the Jews recite this psalm to one another uh, every Passover, we also uh, need to be 
uh, recounting this story of our Passover lamb, who is Jesus. We need to be reminding ourselves of this every chance we get. And one of the ways we do that, as we just celebrated the other week, uh, is communion. We remind ourselves of that deliverance we have in Christ each and every time we participate in that ordinance of communion. Every time we break the bread and partake of that juice, we are recounting the gospel story to ourselves. Reminding ourselves of Christ's shed blood and his broken body because ultimately that sacrifice Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that was the greatest act of love in all of human history. And it's that act of love that has the power uh, to deliver you from sin. So God's love created you. God's love delivered you. Now in the next set of verses, we'll see that it can guide you as well. So let me read verses 16 through 22 encourage you again to read those refrains with me as I go. We read, To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. So this psalm Uh, continues on with the story of the Old Testament. We move from the Genesis story to the Exodus story, and now we're to the story found in the book of Numbers. After the Israelites were set free from the Egyptians, uh, we find out that that's not actually the end of their story. There's more to it. Moses sent out spies to this new land that they were headed towards, that God had promised to give to Abraham's descendants. Uh, But these spies, if you know this story from Numbers, they were terrified of these giants that were living in the land. They felt like that the Israelites were just the size of tiny little grasshoppers compared to the giant inhabitants that were in the land. So even though they had trusted the Lord to save them out of Egypt— They failed to trust that he could safely deliver them into Cana. And it's their failure to trust in the Lord that caused the Lord to force the Israelites to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Until each and every one in that generation passed away. And until a new generation grew up to take their place. But but even in the wilderness, we see that God is still faithful to lead his people. The book of Numbers uh, records a, a great number of battles that the Israelites fought while they were wandering in the desert. Uh, they fought against a king named Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who refused to let Moses and the Israelites pass through his land. And the Lord granted God's people victory over the Amorites, and he gave 
uh, them their land. They inherited it as their own. Then Moses and his people also uh, fought against a man named Og. And Og was like a Goliath before Goliath was ever even born. You can read more about him in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, He was so large that his bed had to be made of iron just to support himself. Uh, You can actually read that his bed was 13 and a half feet in length. Uh, He was a massive man. So when the Israelites first sent their spies into Cana, they were afraid of the spies that were there. That's what caused the Lord to punish them and send them to go wandering out in the desert in the first place. But now, now we see that the Lord is gracious to give his people a second chance. Because here is another giant. And this time the Israelites trust that the Lord will give them victory And he does. So through stories like this, through stories like Sihon and Og, we again see God's love on display. Even as the Israelites went astray and they were wandering out in the wilderness, the Lord still went before them as a cloud by day and as a pillar by fire at night. And we see that God is faithful to fight for his people and to give them victory even while they're being punished in the desert. So so even when you have fled from the giants in your own life, God is still good. He, He is still good to give you the strength to face off against them again. He's the God of second and third and even fourth and fifth chances. And even when you've gone astray and drifted away, you'll often look back on those wilderness moments and realize that that even when you thought you had left God, he never left you. He was standing there all along as that pillar of fire lighting up the night sky, making sure you were never really left in the dark. Um, I haven't got the opportunity to to mention this yet, uh, but I think it might be helpful for you to know uh, this word for love in Hebrew that is literally in every line of this text. Um, In Hebrew, it's hesed. Um, And it's another word that we don't really have an equivalent for in English. Uh, That's why the translators, they don't just translate it as love. uh, They translate it as the Lord's steadfast love. Another way you could translate it is to say it's God's loyal love. It's the kind of love that God has for his people. Even when we are flaky or or flighty, even when we're not committed to God as we ought to be, because of his loyal love, he still remains steadfast to us. He's still loyal to us, even when we are not loyal to him. And for his loyal and faithful guidance, even when we go astray, We should be grateful. So so God's love created you. It delivered you. Even when you go astray, it still guides you. But lastly, we'll also see that it remembers you as well. Let me read the last set of verses uh, in this psalm. Verses 23 through 26. 
Uh, and feel free again to, to repeat that refrain. Uh, but the psalmist says, It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. So it's thought that this psalm uh, was probably written towards the end of Israel's exile in Babylon. Uh, If you know the story of Israel, you know that once the Israelites finally did uh, get out of the wilderness and make it to the promised land, they didn't remain there forever. The Lord uh, had rescued them out of Egypt. He parted the waters. He led them across the Red Sea. Uh, He led them through the wilderness for 40 years. He helped them lead a conquest against the Canaanites. But eventually... He exiled even his own people from Cana as well, because the Israelites lived no differently than the Canaanites had. They were just as as wicked at heart. And so the Lord exiled them to Babylon. But, But this is where this psalm comes along, written at the end of their 70 years trapped in a foreign land, showing that Israel's exile will also not be the end of their story. As verse 23 reminds us, God remembered them in their lowly estate, and he rescued them again from their foes. God let them return to the land. He let them rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the walls around the city, and he let them rebuild the temple so that the Lord could once again let his presence dwell in the midst of his people. We we see all throughout the Bible that no matter how dark or dire the situation becomes, we're continually reminded that God will remember us. He will not forget his people. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, if you read the story about the flood After the Lord flooded the whole earth, we're told that God then remembered Noah and all who were on the ark. Or Exodus chapter 2, after the descendants of Abraham fell into slavery uh, to the Egyptians for over 400 years, we're told uh, that, that God heard their groanings and he remembered the covenant that he made with them. So he came to the rescue All throughout the Bible, we're continually told that God remembers, which isn't to say that sometimes he forgets. It's actually to tell us the opposite, that God will never forget his people, even if you feel far from God's presence, even if you feel like you are living in exile, if you are his sheep, and if he is your shepherd then he will remember you. Why? Because he loves you. God's love created you, it delivered you, it guides you, and it will always remember you. So so I know that we we spent the bulk of the time walking through this psalm, uh, seeing how it points us to God's love. Uh, And I know some of you might still be wondering, well, 
how does this all affect us? You know, how does it teach you and me, you know, how we should be loving one another? Um, So let me just give you a, a few quick implications from this text before we go. Number one, we, we learn that our love as Christians should be pervasive, which is another way of saying that our love as Christians should be all-encompassing. It should be as engulfing as the air that is surrounding us. I mean, every single line of this psalm quite literally speaks of the steadfast love of God. And so likewise, every line of our lives should do the same. The reason this psalmist wants to sound like a broken record in every verse is because from Genesis to Exodus to Numbers all the way to the end of the story, this is the driving theme behind every book of the Bible, on every page, the driving force of God throughout all of history has been, is, and always will be his love. So so there can never be too much love in your life. You, You can never season your words with too much love. You can never love your loved ones too much. Our love as Christians should be pervasive, We should be covered in it. Number two, it should also be persuasive. Our love as Christians should be pervasive and persuasive. All through this psalm, we see the Lord continually uh, intervening in the lives of his people. They were enslaved, he intervenes. They were wandering away, he intervenes. They were in exile, he intervenes. God keeps intervening in order that he might win his people back to him. And his weapon of choice is love. So rarely will you ever argue somebody into the kingdom of God. It's just not likely to happen. You you can argue all you want. You you can shout. You you can raise your voice. You're not going to argue somebody into the kingdom of heaven. But, but often, you, you can love them there. That's why John chapter 13, uh, Jesus tells his disciples in, in that passage that the world will know the followers of Jesus by their love. Love is what sets us apart as Christians. And it's what will compel others and make others want to become Christians like us. Our love should be persuasive. Lastly, though, our love should also be sacrificial. If you remember back at verse 23 of this psalm, we're told that God has remembered us in our lowly estate. For the Israelites, that meant that God didn't forget about them while they were in exile. He let them come back from Babylon and return to their homes in Jerusalem. But for Christians, that this is what it means to be remembered by God. Paul says it very clearly, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says that God showed his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still dead in our trespasses and sin. Uh, we, We were in a spiritually poor and lowly state. 
Yet God remembered us. And and he showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us, to, to sacrifice his own life for us. So at its core, God's love for us is clearly sacrificial in nature. He put his own needs above our own. Jesus left his comforts in heaven so that he could die on a cross all that, so that we might live. So, so if you want to learn how to love your wife better, then, then know that that's right there how you do it. You have to learn to love her as Christ loved the church. So, so you have to, to be willing to, to go as far as you need to go because Jesus was willing to lay down his very life for his bride. If you want to learn how to love your husband better or love your children better or love your parents better, even love your neighbors better, it starts by learning how to sacrifice. You have to prioritize others more than you prioritize yourself. You have to place their needs above your own. You have to love them like Jesus loved you. Because it's his love that created you. It's his love that delivered you. It's his love that that can guide you. And it's his love that will always remember you. Let me pray. (sighs) Father, just as I, I said at the beginning... Um, love, love is a, is a weird word in English. You know, I, I, I wish, Father, we had more ways of, of expressing all the different kinds of love uh, that exists so that we're not using the, the same word to talk about our, our feelings for, for tacos or coffee or, or Jesus. Uh, but, but, Father, through this psalm, I, I hope, Father, I hope that we, we've come to, to see that, that this is how the Bible defines love. The Bible says that you are love. So, so Father, everything that, that you do is motivated for love by love. So I pray that that means, you know, that we, that we would understand that everything that we do should also be motivated by that same love, Father. Um, I pray that we would understand that. Um, and I pray that we wouldn't forget about that, Father, as we leave these doors today. I pray that all we do uh, would just continually, uh, we would just continually be reminded about your love for us and how our love should reflect your love in return, Father. Um, I just say all of that in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.